Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known fact of the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, growing up an army brat, she moved every two years and that created in her an ability to walk into every room, every new situation with her personal calling card, which was curiosity. I thought that was such an amazing message that when you walk into a room as a new person and lead with curiosity, it's astonishing how many friends you can make. And I have a new friend, and so will you after hearing this. Welcome, Gabby Beans, to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Gabby Beans. Gabby is a Tony Award-nominated actress who is currently starring in the play Jonah at the Roundabout Theater in New York City. Some of her many, but some of her recent TV credits include Presumed Innocent, Succession, Blue Bloods, The Good Fight, House of Cards, and Ray Donovan. Other theater credits include The Skin of Our Teeth at Lincoln Center, for which she was, in fact, nominated for the Tony Award I mentioned earlier. I'm revolting at the Atlantic Theater Company, Anatomy of a Suicide at the Atlantic Theater Company, and Mary Seacole at Lincoln Center Theater. I am honored to have Gabby Beans on the podcast today. Hello. Hi. Wow. What an introduction. That's um, That makes me feel very fancy. You are so fancy. You are (laughs) so talented. Um, I just saw Jonah at the Roundabout Theater Company, and I want to start with that, and then we'll go backwards to what what was in the water when you were growing up that made you realize not just like you wanted to be this, but like you're incredibly talented at it. So we'll we'll get to that as well. Um, Jonah is a really beautiful play that takes us through the life of a young woman, Anna, played by you, who we meet in boarding school at the time that we meet her. And I wonder, before we go deep into the process of making this play, if you could sort of do like a very thumbnail sketch about what the play is for people who haven't seen it yet. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's kind of the million dollar question with this piece, Um, I think all really great works of theater are more than the sum of their parts. And that's certainly true for this. So it's kind of hard to give a succinct summary. But I think at its core, this play is about um, Anna, the central character, and her relationship with intimacy. And that her relationship with intimacy with self and with others. And the way that that is explored is through her relationships with three men that enter her life at various periods. 
Um, and so I guess like without giving too much away, that's the best way I can describe it. I just want to say, A, you were on stage the entire time. And I just wonder um, in this deeply intimate piece, sort of how you get ready each night to kind of go on this journey and how did this play come to you so it's a it's a two-parter maybe let's do it in reverse how did Jonah come to you and then let's talk about the process of playing this it's a role with a lot of heavy lifting absolutely so um this play came to me through Danya um I was brought in to replace someone else who had to leave the role due to a shooting commitment and so I came in two weeks before we started rehearsal um, and basically Danya sent me the play and um, I read it and I immediately was very moved um, and also very scared. <laughs> I, I, I saw the, you know, the technical demands and sort of energetic demands of the part and I was very excited by the prospect of exploring it, but I also recognized very acutely that this would be a very challenging undertaking. Um, but after speaking with Danya um, and hearing about her plans, uh, you know, specifically around how she wanted to cultivate trust in the room, um, how she wanted to approach the intimacy that's in the play, physical intimacy that's in the play, and just, Hearing how she was thinking about the work um, really bolstered my confidence that within that container, I might be able to be of service. So, um, and, you know, sometimes you read something and it just doesn't leave you and you kind of know that that's what you need to move towards. I, I read this play and part of me wanted to say no because I knew it would be such a big challenge, but it just was like haunting me. You know, I was thinking about what it would be like to crack this. So that's how it came to me. And then how do I prepare to uh, do the show? Uh, that's really evolved over the course of the process. Um, I have a pretty extensive warm up. Uh, so, you know, I just warm up my voice and body. I say some of the longer passages uh, so that I, the first time I say them isn't on stage that, it, you know, I, I like to have gotten a few runs in at these longer passages before I step on the stage. And probably one of the best things actually that we do in terms of pre-show rituals is me and the guys all sort of huddle up and like share some sort of uh, words of inspiration. We check in with each other and um, and then we do kind of like a sports team, like one, two, three, like <laughs> cheer. Um, and yeah, and then you just do it. But I think like, uh, what Danya is really good at is creating enough of a structure for the play to happen, like a really sturdy structure for the play to happen. So you know your beats and you know the journey that you're taking, but there's so much latitude for play and exploration. Um, and so a lot of what I'm doing before the show is just trying to like be as relaxed as possible so that when I am on stage, I'm available to what wants to happen on any given night. You know, this play deals with trauma and how people survive trauma. And it was just a really beautiful exploration 
of how your character both protects herself and sort of jumps right into the fire at the same time, right? Like she lives on the edge of, of everything all the time. Um, and there aren't a lot of safe adults around sort of helping her navigate this. And so she grows up really quickly and we get to watch what, um, what pain lingers because of that and how she triumphs in the face of that. And it's a really um, sort of extraordinary uh, commercial for art can save someone, right? Like it's <laughs> like so also within all this, the idea that she, thank God, finds writing and it turns out she's really good at it, right? Even if, you know, some of us just use journaling as a way to cope and this character is able to not just journal, but actually put something in the world that helps other people too. I want to talk to you about sort of how Gabby came to be in New York. So can you talk a bit about where you grew up and and how how the acting bug uh, bit you? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really, it's kind of a funny story because, um, well, I'd always been kind of a ham, you know what I mean? Like, I'm an army brat. So, you know, my dad's a military, was a military officer until he retired from the army. Um, my mom worked as a physician until she um, kind of fell ill and was unable to practice. And, um, but both of them have a lot of appreciation for the arts and like a love of cinema. My mom loves theater. And so she was the one who was most reluctant when I decided to pursue acting as a career path but she's also sort of the reason why I fell in love with theater because growing up we would uh you know she would always take you in northern Virginia she would take us to the many like great you know regional theaters in uh you know the DC area and um at that time she was still practicing and so she would come to medical conferences in New York City and she would bring us with her and take us to see Broadway shows and I just remember sitting, you know, falling in love with New York on that, on those trips and also falling in love with theater on those trips. I think like my favorite feeling probably in the world is the feeling when the theater goes dark right before the play happens. And, you know, you know, you're just about to go through an experience. Like I, I just love that. And I've loved it my whole life. So that's kind of where I got bit by the bug and I had a kind of circuitous route to actually doing this job I I was a neuroscience major in undergrad I was also a theater major but I did more of like a performance studies thesis and I was pre-med I worked in a lab the whole nine and then in my senior year I kind of just had a come to Jesus moment where I was like I gotta give this acting thing a try or else I'm gonna regret it for the rest of my life and so I applied to grad school um and I, so I ended up going to Lambda in London and um, was there for like a year and a half and then came back to New York and uh, more or less have been auditioning and just trying to make it happen. But, but I'm grateful for, uh, I think, you know, I, if, if there's anything that I've learned in my short time in this industry is that all of it is material. So, you know, sometimes I would ask myself like, oh, what if you had started earlier? What if you had gone to conservatory for undergrad and so on, so on and so forth? And 
what I recognize now is that things come to you at exactly the right time and you just got to go with the flow. When you say army brat, I've had a lot of different actors who also grew up in a military family. Did you move around a lot or were you guys more rooted on one base for longer periods of time? Uh, We moved around a lot. I I essentially moved every two years until um, I got to high school and then I went to high school in Germany and then after was there for four years and then came to New York for undergrad. But yeah, that's very true. I mean, um, I think like a lot of actors have a nomadic exist early existence because you just learn how to be adaptable and you learn how to sort of uh, slot yourself into various social milieu, like with grace um and so acting is a place where you can exercise that muscle in an artistic sense so it's not I'm not surprised to hear that you've had some other army brats yes for sure can you just tell me a little bit because I am sure there are people listening right now who also are children in military families who love theater I think so much about like walking in as a new person on the first day of anything um and what it takes to sort of get through that, to have to do that multiple times in your young life. A, did you have siblings? Um, B, that were you like a super tight family? Did you have like a mantra or a thing you did, sort of like rituals pre-theater, rituals pre-new school that you can kind of talk about? You know, I think... So I have a younger brother, but we were never in the same school because of our age difference. He's five years younger than me. Uh, I think like if you're walking into any new situation, the best approach is curiosity. Um, You know, like I, I, I think the best way to make a friend is to be genuinely curious about someone's life experience and to allow them to elaborate on the things that are of interest to you. And if you have a deep curiosity about other people, um, I think that's a very welcoming energy. And um, and so that's kind of what I would always do. I'd be like, there's gonna be someone who's gonna talk to me at some point. And even if I'm too afraid to like go up and be like, hi, I'm Gabby, I know I'm gonna brush against someone in the lunch line or you know I'm gonna sit at the same table as someone and all I have to do in order to forge some sort of connection no matter how temporary is ask them about themselves so I think that's kind of how I lead in in new scenarios um that's a great thing for life right um you were nominated for a Tony and that is um a thrilling moment for someone uh who has dreamed of this, you know, you called yourself a ham as a kid. So where often. were you? And, and how did that, now that you've had some time to process it, uh, can you talk a little bit about that, that experience? Yes, of course. I mean, gosh, I never in a million years thought that I would be nominated for a Tony. I mean, of course, like as a young actor, you, imagine certain scenarios or or goals that you'd like to achieve people you'd like to work with but I've never been like a super awards oriented person just because uh 
you know, I'm trying to like, I'm always trying to like check the ego, you know what I mean? Um, Cause I think it gets in the way of the work a lot of times. Um, so yeah, so first of all, I didn't even expect to be on Broadway because I, I, I'm not really, like I can sing a little bit, but I'm not like a musical theater singer. And a lot of the straight plays are cast from people who have, you know, a lot of TV and film credits uh, because, you know, that's the nature of the economics of theater in the city. So Liliana Blaine Cruz is the director, was the director of Skin of Our Teeth. And, I, and we'd worked with each other, I guess that was our fourth thing together. So that's kind of how I got the audition, I suppose. And I read the play and I remember just being like, this play is insane, but this part is like one of the best I've ever read. And I convinced myself, I was like, there's no way they were gonna cast anyone who isn't famous. I mean, it's such a huge, incredible part. <laughs> and so I just went into the audition and I was like, I'm just gonna do exactly what I'm interested in. I have no fear because I have zero chance of getting this. And I think it's that kind of abandon that probably allowed me to show up for that opportunity in the way that I needed to show up in order to secure the job. So anyway, so it was our, I just say that to gesture at the fact that it was such a, it, it, it was all such a like unbelievable thing that then once we got into previews and you know, you you go to the stage door and people start telling you, you're going to get nominated for a Tony. And for me, I'm like, that just seems crazy. Like, it's already crazy that I'm doing this role. It's already crazy that I'm on Broadway. I, my, my, I just can't even believe that I would also be honored in such a profound way for doing what I love to do. And I also just kind of interpreted that as, okay, this is a way for people to say that they really like the performance. And that's how I'm going to interpret it and so the day when the announcement came out I absolutely like did not watch the video <laughs> like I just decided I, my phone was on do not disturb like I just got up and like did the dishes and washed my face and then when I finally took my phone off of do not disturb I had like 50 text messages and lots and lots of calls and then I sort of caught on I was like okay well I don't think this many people would be texting me to say sorry you can get nominated for it. <laughs> um and so it was, yeah fair. it was a whirlwind experience and just a huge 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 honor that I'm still uh just incredibly grateful for beyond the um the sort of affirmation as you describe it do you feel like it has had an impact that you can feel yet on your career absolutely a hundred percent I mean Prior to the nominee, I mean, I, 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 it's, it's, it's improved my career prospects in so many ways. I, uh, my representation changed a little bit in a way that has really helped me. I'm working with some really incredible managers um, who have already opened tons of doors. And I think that really what that nomination did for me, at least how I feel it qualitatively is like, you just get taken a little bit more seriously and you get given the benefit of the doubt in a way that's really helpful in such a competitive industry. So, you know, whereas before the nomination, I would only be offered things that from people I knew very well, 
or from things I had developed over a very long period of time. Now I'm getting offers from people I don't even know who just, you know, believe that I, I'm able to, 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 to serve the peace. And so having that latitude is incredibly wonderful. And also, I, I think I have a little bit more agency over what I choose to do now, um, which is all I've ever wanted. <laughs> right, right, right. And so rare in this business, sadly. Yes. Yes. Um, I have to talk to you a little bit about a show that really was like a cultural moment, um, Succession. You are part of that show and the history of that show in a really sort of iconic scene with Cousin Greg. And I wonder if you don't mind talking about that experience because it really is um that was really appointment television for so many people and so like how was it how did that come to you um yeah anything that you can kind of remember share oh yeah that was such a dreamy experience I mean successions like all you know many of us it's one of my favorite shows of all time and so I auditioned for I actually auditioned for the part of the crisis manager that cousin Greg kind of flirts with and I was on the hook like you know they were considering me that for that for a while it went another way and so you know I think kind of as a consolation prize they gave me this other part um and yeah that was my first job back after lockdown so I definitely was like very, very talkative because I had just had not been around that many people in so long. And I have to say, Nick Braun was really cool to work with, really, really talented, like improviser, actor. And what was so striking about being on that set for just, you know, the day I was there was how it it's actually kind of a lot like theater, the way they shoot it, because they don't block the scene like in in a way that I've experienced a lot of TV to be. They kind of allow their actors to move according to their impulse, which I think is why it has such a live sort of almost documentary quality to it sometimes. it's It just feels very, you know, a high level of veracity. Um, so it was just cool to watch him work and to see how he approached the scene to improvise with him a little bit and also you know um working with you know Jesse Armstrong was there and seeing how they would like sort of gently tweak lines they would feed me jokes uh you know try it this way try it that way and just to see people operating on such a high level of creativity and skill was just super super you know inspiring I love I just remember you know, he's really trying to figure out like all of this legal, he's in a legal crisis. <laughs> and, and I just remember you're like, you know what, I'm a, I'm a first year law student. So I don't, and he's really looking to you like you're, you know, a Supreme court judge. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was a really like ill-considered move on cousin Greg, but exactly. I have to say one really funny story from that yeah. day that if anyone who's a fan of the show, I like this stays in my heart forever so if anyone's a fan of the show I think they'll like it um it was Nick Braun's first day back after lockdown too so he was you know he had expressed he was like yeah I gotta get back into it and I don't know if he does this every day but that day before 
the cameras would start rolling, he would go into a corner and like wring his hands and say, oh God, oh man, oh God, oh man, oh God, oh man, to get into character. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And so right. Exactly. Like that, that was his, his method, right? <laughs> yeah. So if it was right after lockdown, is that when things were being filmed, but everyone is masked and separated and tested? So it it's like a, absolutely. It's like a very different way to shoot, right? You're kind of in a bubble, you go do your work, you're back in a bubble. Well, you did it. And you guys were so, for two people who were in masks and like covered in plastic <laughs> until action each time, I felt like you were so deeply connected and it felt like these were friends who knew each other um, yeah. and such an unlikely, wonderful pairing of, you know, this guy who's so unhinged and this woman who is so stable, solid, grounded, like feet firmly planted on the ground. <laughs> it was like such perfect casting in oh, terms man. of Thanks the two of you that. oh it was so great um this play really you know you talked about sort of uh tremendous sensitivity paid during the rehearsal process to the intimacy I wonder if you could talk a little bit about it again not everyone who's listening to this conversation will have seen the play but uh Gabby is asked to be you know an intimate uh, explicit scenes and on stage it's always really wild to be so close to people um <laughs> to be in the room with people who are being intimate with each other it's just different than watching it on screen or on you know your tv set at home so i wonder you know post covid we have entered a world when we went back to work with you know diversity, equity, and inclusion missions for the places, you know, that we go to work in. There are intimacy coaches. There's a different kind of HR, hopefully, theoretically involved, it, 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 uh, available to, to company members. Um, but this would be a play that would be extremely, um, you know, heartened, I imagined, as a cast member by all of those things. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that in terms of being the only woman in the play, um, woman of color, intimacy? I mean, a lot, a lot is on you. Yes. And um, exactly what you were kind of hinting at, Alana, Roundabout and Danya really created a very, very airtight kind of framework to approach the intimacy. Um, and so I'll just talk through like how that works. Um, because, you know, for those of, for the listeners who haven't seen the play, like there is just a lot of explicit physical intimacy, um, but between my character and the, the other characters in the play. And so first of all, Anne James is our intimacy choreographer and she is just a really, really deep, insightful, and skillful person. Um, so how what her work looked like was one, like offering literal choreography for the beats of the intimacy in the same way as like, you know, you might tell a story on stage through dance, or you might tell a story on stage through fight choreo. Intimacy works 
can work in the same way. So um, not only does she like sort of direct us about how to best tell the story using intimacy, but she also provided terminology that was desexualizing so that when we're talking about these intimate moments, we can do so in a way that feels less awkward, that feels a little bit more removed so that we can move through the process with a little less discomfort. Um, she's also there to like make sure that all of us performers that are personal as people, like our boundaries are upheld. So if there is our, if there are aspects that we're not comfortable with, or if there's certain uh, ways in which we don't want to be touched or we don't want to interact, those all can be taken in consideration with the, with the choreography. And also she provides us with um, like closure rituals. So ways to get out of character, ways to let go of the um, heightened like emotions that come from um, intimacy or violence or whatever. So she was just an indispensable resource. I also will say that like the pace at which we developed the intimacy in the show was super slow. Danya essentially didn't enforce or dictate a time at which we would um, start interacting physically in, in an explicit way. It was kind of incredible because we had been rehearsing the play, doing sort of placeholders for the intimate moments. And then we reached a point in the room where we're like, okay, actually we won't know what this play is until we actually do the thing. And at that point, all of us were like, excited to do it and ready to do it um, and had you know and this was like maybe two or three weeks into rehearsal so we had developed a sense of trust and a sense of um, camaraderie to be able to do that work and the right. last thing I'll say is like also in, within the casting because the the my fellow castmates are just like really really wonderful guys like mm -hmm. really stand up generous talented beautiful people so um, that made things a lot easier too. Of course, of course. Well, I just really, you know, I'm just in awe of of you and your ability to be a vessel for a story in such um, a different way each time. And also, like, just to take it on. Like, it's just um, thrilling. It's thrilling to be in the audience when you're in in the play um i know that you have a show tonight and i and and guys gabby talks for a long time in the play so <laughs> i want you to i want you to have time to do whatever you need to do to get ready um so one more question before i let you go is there a little known fact about gabby beans that you can share uh before you go on with your day Oh yeah, I think the the little known fact about me is I love to roller skate. And it's something that when I'm doing a show, I feel I miss because I'm afraid to injure myself so I don't roller skate, but like in my free time I I absolutely love to jam skate. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Do you do it in Central Park or or any of the sort of outdoor community places that that happens? I wish I'm not a really great outdoor skater. I learned how to skate in a gymnasium in Bed-Stuy. So the wheels that I use I, and the type of skating I like to do, I just feel more comfortable indoors. And there's a lot of like 
really funny, like cool underground places to do that. But um, but I yeah, love it. I love <laughs> it. From Germany to Bed Stuy, what a journey, Gabby Beans. Thank you, thank you for being on the podcast today. I'm so grateful to have had this time with you. Thank you so much. And thank you for helping us um, spread the word about Jonah. I think that this is a piece that uh, can be a catalyst for healing. And as much as you've, you know, alluded to the fact that it's a, uh, you know, it's a lot to take on in a role, I can't express how vast my gratitude is to one, be able to inhabit a role that is so nuanced and deep and beautiful and be able to say Rachel's words and also like that I get to do something that allows me to play on the edge of my abilities and lastly that you know that you appreciated the work enough to ask me to have this conversation it's deeply meaningful to me and I'm very very grateful oh my god it's my pleasure and just listeners just so you know Danya Tamor is Julie Tamor's niece and I don't know what is in the DNA of the Tamor family, but they really are like just the creativity and visionary uh, minds that that this this young Tamor is is really like taking on New York theater by storm with her own voice and vision. Um, and so that's wild too to see Tamor in the program and go, wow, like this family really um has a way of telling stories that is so unique and Absolutely. and Danya is incredible visionary and Rachel Bonds is such a beautiful playwright the play is Jonah it's at the roundabout uh Laura Pell's theater um do you know right now until when it it is in production yes we're so we're supposed to close March 10th um pending any changes but right. yeah. we'll run you guys run 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 in the meantime i just wish you the most beautiful day congrats on the role have a gorgeous run with the play until next time gabby beans thank you so much alana thank you oh my god thank you I have some news. Little Known Facts is now available to watch on YouTube. Hours and hours and hours of interviews that you can see my fabulous guests. And guess what it's called? Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Anyway, head on over to YouTube and watch the podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you want to donate to the podcast, zero pressure, but if you want to, no donation is too big or too small. I am so grateful for you for listening, but if you want to donate, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations. Lastly, Little Known Facts is recorded in Brooklyn, New York, USA. My editor is Nicholas Clark. None of this happens without Nicholas. And the Little Known Facts theme song was composed and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you for listening and have an amazing day. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? 
Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.